Uh, so um, how much is that? And here we are on the podcast editor mastermind show. We've had some technical difficulties, but we're going to plow right through it anyway. I'm Jennifer Longworth with Bourbon Barrel Podcasting. And next to me today is... Brian Ensminger with Top Tier Audio. And below me and invisible is... Daniel Avendroth. You can find me at rothmedia.audio. And not joining us this evening is Carrie Caulfield Eric. Is she still at Yaya Podcasting? Yep, as far okay. as I know. So I'm hosting today because I'm the one who brought up the question about closing the sale. Because... You know, the question we, we get all the time in all the podcasts, how do I find more clients? How do I find more clients? How do I? Okay, so now a potential client comes to you. What do you do with that person? And how do you turn them from potential into actual paying client and get their money? I brought it up this week because, well, I let one get away again. Uh -oh. <laughs> or did I? Or did I just I'm like, yeah, okay, here, I'll send you the proposal, but I don't actually like, close the sale on the first call. So do you feel like you have to close the sale on the first call? Like, is that kind of your go-to? I don't feel like that, but it seems more, if you can, that's better. Well, it's better for me because I suck at follow-up. <laughs> so if I don't close them on the first call, then I have to follow up with them, which I'm terrible at, and then they get away. I guess I don't really feel like I have to close the sale on the initial call. In fact, I don't often really try that. Now, it's possible that my sales process and my sales cycle is a bit too long, but I don't necessarily want people who are going to be swayed to make a knee-jerk decision. I want people that have considered things and are committed to this and that may or may not be the right approach. That's that's my perspective. However, I could do with another client or two. So <laughs> it's possible that I don't have the right perspective. But I've actually, it used to be that I wouldn't even give them an estimate on the initial call, but I do have a rate sheet. And so I've tried out, you know, giving people estimates on that initial call. And once or twice it's worked. Uh, every so often I get somebody, I feel like they're just kind of price fishing mm -hmm. to, um, they, they don't really want to, compare. They just want to take a little bit of your time, do some comparison shopping, and then they'll probably never pull the trigger or they're looking like, I hate to call them a bottom feeder, but that's what they would be called in the sales world where they're just looking for the lowest price. And I'm kind of inclined to give them a rate too, just to let them know, hey, if you're looking for the lowest price, I'm probably not your guy. Right. And I'm okay with that. I don't know. What do you think? Well, let me ask you, if somebody were to email you and ask what your rates are, how would you handle that? Would you push them to get on a call or would you yes. just send them? Okay. Based on my sense from the initial email, I might push for a call and say, hey, like I've got some standard rates, but none of my clients or very few of my clients have the standard rate because most of them need something customized for them. Mm -hmm. So it's best if we get on a call and talk through this and make sure that our words all mean the same thing before I give you a rate. However, if I've got somebody where I feel like they're just kind of kicking the tires and there's maybe not a ton of networking value in meeting with them, I might let them know that my prices start in the range of this, even though I don't have them on my website. Like, you know, for packages like what you've described, the rate probably starts like this, but we'd really need to get on a call in order to discuss further. And that's really just to kind of allow them to self select mm -hmm. if they're not the right person. And that's what I do because like I'll get you know, like a message like from the website where it's just like, hey, we're thinking about starting a podcast or I can tell based on their what they say, yeah. like they may be more like hobbyist or something not super serious. And I can tell from the email, it's like they're not going to be my ideal clients because I mm -hmm. have like an idea of who I want to work with. And it's people that have like a marketing budget. It's like I know they can justify my costs and Typically, a hobbyist won't be able to do that. But if somebody right. like just reaches out, like, "Hey, what are your rates?" I do the same thing. I give them like a general idea of like, "Here's where my prices start at," and I make it clear, like, you know, it's customizable. You know, everybody's different. Blah blah blah. Because I don't want to push everybody to a call. One, I don't like sales. Like, I don't like to be salesy. And when I get on the call, like, I'm not. I don't want to have to convince somebody to work with me. 
I don't want to have to deal with like buyer's regret. I don't want to like manipulate and like convince someone to work for me, like work with me mm-hmm. just for them to be like, oh, I, I really don't feel good about this now. Cause I, I never want to have to like go back and reassess that. I'll give them my prices right away. So that way, like you said, they can self select. And that way, if somebody does schedule a call with me, I know that they are more likely to want to work with me because I don't want to waste my time and I don't want to waste their time hopping on a call that is likely going to be a lost cause. The other sort of the counterpoint that pops into my mind, and it's the thing that I struggle with, is I think there are some clients out there that could afford me, but might not see the value if I don't Mm. have the time to present them with the value and the differentiation. And so that's kind of the tension that I struggle with a little bit. If I was to say, and I'm just going to make up a number, but packages generally start in the range of $500 or $1,000 a month or whatever that package might be for what they've described. They might look at that and go, wow, that's a lot of money, you know, because they'll blow that through and they'll say, well, that's this much per year. Mm-hmm. But they've never considered what value might the show bring to them or what are they getting? Because a lot of times, I think when people initially reach out, they're thinking, okay, I'm not really great at this and I'd like to get back one hour of my time a week. Well, just to kind of make it transparent, if, if the CEO of a company is worth $500 an hour mm. and they're the one doing it and they're not going to hire somebody because it's not, it's not worth it to them to hire somebody, like me editing their show saves them more than they would spend. On right. It, right. But if they just look at it and say, wow, do I really want to spend all this money because they haven't framed it up against what's my per hour value, that kind of thing. I think that there might be some of that. So that's, that's where that tension comes in. I, I don't know. I've been talking a lot again, Jennifer. What, what do you think? <laughs> I'm listening. I'm listening. Well, I was just trying to ponder the last few client calls I've had and like evaluate how they went. Two of them were easy to know what to do with. Uh, I don't do those things they were looking for. Yeah. yeah. Somebody was looking for live assist and guest booking. And I'm like, I'm an editor. If you need an editor, mm-hmm. that's when you talk to me. I don't do those other things. No, thanks. I'll help you find someone. Thanks. And then the other one was, hi, I'm looking for marketing and media placements for my podcast. Okay. I don't do that either, but I know someone who does. So let me get you in contact with her, you know? And then there's the other two. We'll stretch it out to five. Two who are local, who I know through my networks and they were easy sales. I didn't have to do anything. They're like, yes, I want to sign up because they know like and trust me already. I didn't have to do a sales cycle with them at all. And then the last one uh, found me through being a speaker at Podcast Movement Evolutions saw me on the speaker list, saw I was Bourbon Barrel from Kentucky. He's from Kentucky and he called me and it was, he's a perfect fit for me. I don't know what his budget is. We didn't get to that, but based on what he was telling me about what he does, what his podcast is going to do. Yeah, he can afford. Okay. (laughs) I'm not that expensive. I'm on the lower end. I'm not the bottom of the barrel. There's still people out there who think I'm expensive, but. Well, I mean, there are people out there that think $5 an episode is expensive. So true, true. But he can afford me and I didn't seal the deal. And why not? Or I didn't even do any follow-up. Did I even email him later? I think I did. But I didn't even try to ask what the next steps were or anything like that. And and maybe it's because I invested so much money in sales training a couple of years ago that apparently I didn't learn anything. Um, That is just kind of frustrating to me. It's like, well, why can't I do this? Hmm. (laughs) And but. You say you have a long sales cycle or whatever, Brian. What does that look like? I would say long in the sense that I'm not generally a one call and we're done kind of guy. I mean, it's happened. that There was one lady where after the first call, she had decided, but she still had a couple other people that she needed to talk to to just make herself feel good mm-hmm. about me being the right person. But like I could tell once we got off the call, unless my proposal was way off the mark, she was going to be a done deal. Um, but for the most part, I'm not really looking for a close on that initial call. I'm willing to wait. In fact, I've got one person who I talked to in December when we hopped on the call. He's like, yeah, we've got months of content planned out. We're going to be replacing our current editor because his business has grown and he can't support us anymore. 
that's going to happen in like March, April, May timeframe. And so I was able to have that conversation, just know that in the back of my mind, that's there. And so, you know, there's a certain part of me that goes, well, now I need to start paying more attention to his social media and that kind of stuff, just to make sure I'm top of mind. However, I'm not expecting him to make a call in December for something that he wants to do in March or April. And I'm also not going to say, well, I can't talk to you unless you're ready to make a decision in the next two days or, or anything like that. I'm willing to leave a couple irons in the fire, I guess, and just see what happens with them. Does that kind of help? I don't have a long sales process in the sense that I don't have, well, this is how I pre-qualify you. This is how yeah. I qualify you. This is, I, I mean, I, I try to do those steps. It's pretty organic with me because I'm not real great with sales structure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for example, that qualifying, like, are you able to pay? <laughs> do you have <laughs> <Yeah>. decision-making <laughs> capability? Um, generally I'm talking to the person who runs the show. So I don't have to worry so much about that. It's not like I'm going, well, I'm talking to the VP, but I need to talk to the president or something like that. But that initial email that, that says, Hey, we can talk. Here's where my rates generally start. That can be a form of pre-qualification because if they look at that and go, it's this tension because on the one hand, it's doing them a disservice if we waste our time and there's no way they could ever afford me anyway. But at the same time, that can scare people off. But yeah, there's a certain element of that. Generally, I'll do the needs analysis and we'll talk about some of the value that we can create together. And it's not, it's nothing fancy, right? We just talk about what they're looking for, what I can offer, what that can do for them. And then generally, I like to, unless I'm trying to give them a price on the call, I try to send them an actual proposal. And it's just like a one pager. It says, right. hey, this is what we talked about. This is what that price would look like. Here are some other things I could do. This would look like this. And if the one that we talked about is too much, here's another thing that we could do that help, might help bring the price more in line with what you're looking for. And generally, I'll have an idea of what kind of budget they can use. I don't ask that necessarily initially, but yeah, I'll have general idea and then let it go from there. I do kind of struggle, like you mentioned, with the close. And I think part of the thing is I tend to view the close as me trying to get them to hire me. And I don't think that's really the right thing. I think it's really, as I've been thinking about this and preparing for this, I think the close is really where you just go, let's close the door on this. It's either a yes or a no. A no is fine, but it means that neither of us have to continue to invest any mental or physical or financial resources in trying to pursue this. When I was in sales training once, they're like, well, at the beginning of the call, tell the person something like, by the end of this call, you'll either say yes or no, and that's that. Okay. And I never do that. (laughs) But I like the way you put it. Well, to close the sale, we close the door. Yes or no. The end. Goodbye. And that feels like a lot of pressure to me because then I like there's this obligation or this kind of dread that, you know, get to the end of the call. If they're not sure, like, you know, there's a lot of pressure to go one way or another. And maybe they just need more time to think about it or, you know, they have other people they want to talk to or whatever. For me, like, I feel like I'd be under a lot of pressure to like, I don't know, to perform or something. Yeah. I mean, I tend to almost look at it like a job interview, Mm -hmm. right? I would hope that they're talking to more than one person, Mm -hmm. not because I don't think that I'm competent, but because I know that I'm not the right person for everybody and I want them to get the right person. And if I'm not that person, I don't want them to start with me and go, wow, I hate working with him. I'd like to go work with somebody else. Like I want them to work with somebody they want to in the first place. So. I don't like, I don't feel a ton of pressure. I might feel a little bit differently if I didn't also have a day job that brings in pretty good income, right? So there's, I have a little bit less pressure on me from that standpoint. Although, mm-hmm. you know, it would be nice to pick up a new client here and there. <laughs> I'd like to have maybe two more this year. Yeah. I'm looking to get to a total of 10 regular clients this year. Okay. So I, I did, Steve Stewart did his, his Spotify draft thing. How many episodes and whatever. And I average about 14 episodes per month that I'm actually editing. Okay. I can do way more than that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not even every day. That's once every other day or something. And I usually do like three in one sitting. Because once I get into it, I get into (laughs) it. (laughs) You know? So I definitely have more room, which is why I don't want some of these people to get away from me. But I also don't have a good system. 
for me, like in the call, like it's not do or die. So a lot of times, like they are ready to make a decision because a lot of my sales calls comes from word of mouth or from a interview I did. So they come into the call, like almost decided to work with us. And like this, the call is more formality, but if not kind of our process is we follow up. I say we, but Michelle's the one that actually does it, but follow up with a summary of what we talked about, the prices we talked about, essentially just like a recap of the entire call. That's usually the following day or the day after. So real close to the call. And then we'll give them like a week or two to think about it. And then if we haven't heard anything, we'll follow up. And then maybe like one or two times after that. And then it's just, we're not going to email anymore. If you you want to work with us, reach out, we'll get started, whatever. But I think like having a schedule will help you kind of stay more on top of it. And just like setting reminders in your calendar or just through your phone. Just like, hey, Google, remind me in two weeks to follow up with Steve. And then just having like template emails that you can just fill out and just two seconds, put their name in, whatever, and then send it. So you don't have to put a lot of effort into it. And then also ending your communication with what the next step would be. So never leave it open-ended or like in their court, just end it with the next steps would be, you know, paying your deposit, doing this, whatever, like let them know exactly what they need to do. Because that kind of helps push people into taking action as opposed to if it's like open-ended, then it's like, what do I do? There's hesitancy. Whereas like if you give them a roadmap of what to do, they're more likely to kind of follow it. So in that vein, I'll kind of describe what mine is. It's not that dissimilar from Daniel's. When I'm on the call, I always get their permission to follow up. And I ask about when would be a good time for me to reach out to you. That way I've got their permission And I've got a timeline that says, hey, I think now would be when I am able to make that decision or let you know. So I'll do that. And then as soon as we get off the call or within the next few hours, I'll send a recap email, just like what Daniel described, you know, hey, it was great to talk to you. Nice to meet you. Here's the stuff we talked about. I'll be following up in a few days with a proposal or or whatever the next step is. And then typically what I do once I send the proposal or when we're doing the follow-up, like, hey, it's time to talk about whether or not we're going to move forward with this. I'll just say, hey, this is what we're looking for. Does one of these work for you? If so, let me know. And then I'll, we'll work on the agreement and we'll, we'll get things moving forward from there. So that's that next step like Daniel described. So mine is really similar. I don't have any template emails. I don't recall for sure, but I know that we've got some template e- or we. Uh, Steve and Mark have some <laughs> template emails in the Podcast Editor Academy, which is at podcasteditoracademy.com. It's not ours, but we did do some advertising for them a couple months ago. <laughs> so uh, definitely check them out. Nothing coming to us for that. But those are there. And so if I was to develop some of those, I'd probably use some of those template emails to develop my own, put them in my own voice, that kind of thing. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of templates. However, if there's something where there's an emotional load, that goes with writing the email, whether it's fear or something else, I tend to want to use something that's templatized so that I don't start with a blank page and all the fear that goes with that. I I start with something and then I adjust it. By the time I'm done, it probably doesn't resemble the original (laughs) at all, but it got me going. And that's what I I try to do. Yeah. And that's kind of my idea. If Jennifer is having a hard time with the follow-up, just having something that's already made that she can just hit send or whatever. So one of the things I've been working on for 2022, which is now gone, whoops, missed it, (laughs) Uh, trying for 2023 is more email marketing. And we uh, have, I'm working with a a liquidity on putting together a drip campaign. And theoretically, after I have one of these calls, I throw the person's email into the drip and then they get follow up from me without me doing anything. Mm. But it's, Mm -hmm. we're having struggles with the email client not letting us put it together, but yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> I think the key for that, make sure you're fully compliant with all the spam laws and stuff. Cause each country is a little bit different is if you have, if you get people who are already on a list and then you're able to just move them over to a special group or a special part of that list that's related to your sales process follow-up, right? So if you had a weekly or a monthly email that's going out, they're already on that list. If you have one, oh, then 
after you've had a sales call, you just tick the box and says, Hey, I have a sales call. And it moves them into that email follow-up process for your sales call. I don't have one of those, but that's a genius <laughs> idea that somebody should do for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm getting this one campaign. It's written. It's just not dripping yet. But my business strategist friend, she's like, okay, you got to get an email list together. And she told me that in the end of 2021 and at the end of 2022. And I still don't have an email. I have like one person that I put into HubSpot and that's it. (laughs) And they're not even a real potential client. Is it me? (laughs) Could be somebody I met somewhere who's doing great in their podcasting. (laughs) Have we talked about email marketing on the show? We have. I think so. A couple of times. I know we talked about it some with the lady that was your business coach for a while. Mm, yeah. Um, that was like three years ago, probably. And then I think we talked about it one other time. Um, I was going through some previous episodes on sales and we've done a lot of them. Um, <laughs> as I was preparing for this, I didn't listen to them all, but I just went through to see what we had talked about. Cause we talked with Bonnie about uh, making ah. business sales fabulous. And we did mm. another one about uh, getting over the fear of doing sales. And we did some on finding clients and, like we've done a lot, but I don't remember doing anything else on email marketing. So if you or someone else you know is an expert on email marketing, you should go to podcasteditormastermind.com slash be a guest. Because it'd be really fun to do like an episode where like we sit down with Jennifer and like crank out her plan or something. I'm just throwing it out there. That'd be really cool. It'd be fun to see. You could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I'd have to like do stuff. Follow. Oh up. no. Oh no. And get clients and make money and, and get oh, clients bleh. and make money. Oh no. <laughs> and on another note though, the one of the recent calls I had and they they asked me for my rate quote, I did increase it over last year. At least the number I said out loud. I'm like Say the higher number, say the higher number, say the higher number. You know, <laughs> it's like, don't cave, don't cave, don't cave. I mean, they're one that I didn't even include in the five who's like, well, I'm just gathering information right now and you were on my list. So I never know what to do with those people either. <laughs> yeah. In that situation, I think it'd be like, is it okay if I follow up? And you're like, when would be a good time? Or is it okay if I follow up one week from now? The getting a rate for my client thing always kind of scares me a little bit, even though I do some white label work. And in my mind, it goes one of two ways. If it's their client and the, for research purposes, like they're just helping them do the research, I don't necessarily trust that all the information is going to be conveyed. And I would rather have that conversation in person with the person I'm going to work for or work yeah. with. If it's a subcontracting deal, um, I really want to have a nice detailed discussion with them about roles and responsibilities and things like that. Because what I've found, and it's perfectly appropriate, most of the time when people are looking for a subcontractor, they're looking for something where the rate is better than what you would offer an individual client. And that's perfectly appropriate to do. But you need to make sure that they're going to do the client management part of it or that benefit's no longer there for you, right? If they're going, hey, I've got this marketing client and they want a podcast editor, can you do that? And you're thinking, oh, they'll do all the client management. And then they say, okay, now you handle everything related to the podcast. Well, that's a different discussion. Oh, yeah. And that third-party scope creep conversation can get a little bit tricky as well when they start wanting more from you, but it doesn't have to necessarily go through the person that you actually work for, that there can be a lot of tension there. So that has to be really clear. Thankfully, I haven't been in that situation yet, but those are the kinds of conversations I have. I think with these, there were two of them similar to this. Uh, One of them, I think, might have been the potential host for the company's podcast, but he had to tell the higher-ups at the company how much it would cost. Mm -hmm. And sometimes with those, I'm like, well, it comes back to follow-up, how I'm terrible at (laughs) (laughs) follow-up. We did the podcast editor mastermind workshop thingy with with Steve and Mark, it ended up just being Mark at uh, Podcast Movement. And I think that came back around on my little grid of how to run a business. <laughs> what do you need to do better? Follow up, email marketing. So it, from what Daniel was saying of how, how he and Michelle 
and you too, Brian, send the summer email. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I usually just send a, hey, it was great to talk to you. I'll be sending you the proposal. It'll probably go to your spam. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that for me is partly a stay in their mind type thing. Hey, I just want to thank you. Sort of like it's sending a follow-up from a job interview. But the other part of it is making sure that I have something written down that documents my recollection of what we talked about that they can respond to if they remembered something differently. Because two months from now, once they're finally ready to make a decision, they may have talked to five different editors and all of a sudden everything gets jumbled together. So I want to have something, well, this is the email I sent. This is what we talked about. I'm glad to have a conversation about whatever it is that you think you remembered, but the rate that I gave you was based on this. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's appropriate to do, right? Because memories are fickle and Mm -hmm. Google remembers. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I wanted to kind of touch on though, because it's popped up in my head like three or four times while we've been talking, we're talking about closing, but I think the recurring theme that I hear is fear. The fear of saying my rates out loud and picking the higher rate. So for a while, I had my rates published on my website so that I couldn't not offer that rate. Mm. Because I knew that given the opportunity, I would start every conversation with a potential client negotiating against myself until I got myself to the lowest price and then allow them to go lower Mm -hmm. from there, right? So I'm just wondering, like, as you guys think about your businesses and specifically like getting new clients, what does fear play a role in what you do or don't do? Not so much anymore. I know early on, it definitely did. And I did the same thing to where I would negotiate against myself before ever giving a prize to my client or like to the potential client. Whereas now, I think it also helps that I have a partner to where I can't, because there are times when like, I'll kind of do that and I'll give a lower price. And after the call, she's like, hey, I didn't like that. (laughs) <laughs> and it's just like, no, you're right. <laughs> Here's why. And it's not like like any aggression or any kind of like negative thing. It's just like, I don't think that we should have gone that low. And so next time, it's just like, I know like this is the expectation. And this is a price that, you know, Michelle and I have agreed on. And I can't go against that. It's like, this is a price that we're giving to our client or to the potential client. And I think just like having that confidence and being assured like, okay, no matter what, like this is my price. There is fear sometimes. Like if I'm getting a weird vibe on the call to where like they don't seem confident, they're not assured that they want to move forward. Then like I get there, there is still some fear and some hesitancy. It's like, okay, my prices might scare them away. But because like I'm much more convicted on my pricing and much more confident in it, it's just like, this is my price, take it or leave it. And it also helps that like, I'm in a position where, you know, I'm full-time doing this. If I don't land this client, it's not going to, like, I can live off my clients right now and be totally fine. Another client is definitely going to be nice, but like, I'm not going to miss Brent because I don't sign this client. I don't like to be a bother. That's more of what it is <laughs> than, than, <laughs> than Same. fear. Is I don't want to, like, Oh, well, okay. Yeah, that's fine. I don't want it. Hmm. But I have a, a client who's, we'll just say, in between seasons. And I have a few of them, but she is a real estate agent. And my business strategist was like, you know, she's in your inbox all the time. Don't feel bad about being in her inbox all the time. You stay top of mind for her either. And I was like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> she's Stephanie was like yeah if the roles were reversed you know you'd be hearing from her yes yes indeed I hear you with that comment I would also like to say that I get really tired of the people that email me every single day with stuff that could be valuable if I didn't have 200 more emails a day to go through like email to me is any inbox right now is really like even my text messages because now it's like two-factor authentication for everything, right? So (laughs) every inbox I have is like the boy that cried wolf where 
I literally delete 100 to 200 emails every day without looking at anything other than who sent it and what is the subject line. And I maybe don't even read that because right. I get so many low value communications. And I want to make sure that all of the stuff that I send really is high value to my clients. I don't know that it falls into the category of fear, but I guess that's kind of the other side of the thing. Like f definitely feel free to reach out to them. Mm -hmm. Don't feel like you have to email them every day unless your business coach tells you I'm an idiot. And then you No, can... she doesn't say email. Okay. <laughs> so you mentioned that you use HubSpot. I've tried it and never really liked it. I'm in between CRMs right now. I'm sorry, customer relationship management software. I'm in between those right now because the one I was using was kind of expensive and wasn't really getting me, I wasn't really working the system. So Jennifer, are you like in HubSpot? I told you I had one person in it. <laughs> so no. And I don't use it. I mean, I like it because it's free and it's pretty looking, but I haven't connected it to the email client yet because we can't get the drip thing to work anyway. Blah. Um, so well, I don't know if I need to start putting these in. Uh, I don't know how it all works. I'll just say that. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm going to stay using HubSpot or if I'm just going to put things in a spreadsheet or I need something though. Daniel, do you use uh, Airtable for this also? Not really. Well, I mean, okay, so I have Airtable for like my clients and I use Airtable as a, like a CRM for that. And I have HubSpot connected to my website. So that way when somebody like sends me a message or something, they get captured that way. Um, but that, I don't really actively use it. I, I was hoping that you had some insight into what we might consider. In the past, I've used Nimble and I liked it, but it's 30 bucks a month and I wasn't really using it to its fullest potential. Mm -hmm. The big thing I liked about it was once I had an email address and a name, I could build out a profile of each person just by clicking through and selecting the, the social profiles. Then it had all of the follow-up stuff and the whole sales funnel and the value cycle and all of that stuff in it. But again, I stopped using it. I tried HubSpot, didn't really like it. I've tried Close and I've tried a few others, never really found something that I liked. I like HubSpot and how it integrates with WordPress and it's just kind of like an automation capture. But actually going in and like trying to make use of it, it felt like it wasn't intuitive enough and it was like really complex, which is great for I'm sure a lot of people, but was beyond what I needed. Okay. Whereas like, Airtable, you can really customize it to like exactly what you need. So I guess for those in the chat or listening later, if you have a solution that you like, <laughs> let us know. We might be interested in checking it out because at least for me, I do need something. I just need something that I either I need something or I need someone. And at this point, I don't think my business is big <laughs> enough to delegate sales or really right. much of anything. <laughs> so... <laughs> What are you looking for? Like, what is a process that you want to get out of it? So like Jennifer mentioned, a place to capture people. Ideally, some kind of simplified sales process with some email templates, some way to classify whether or not there's a, any activity going on. It'd be great if it integrated with an email marketing solution like MailChimp or SendFox or whatever, like just something. I know that all of that feature set is out there. I've just never really found something that I liked. Partly, I mean, it does need to look pretty because I'm a Mac user. And so I'm kind of, a that's <laughs> me. And it just has to be dead simple to use, like almost so simple that you can't screw it up because I spend enough time managing the operational systems of my business. I don't have a lot of time to really invest into managing a CRM. Mm-hmm. And free would be great. Although I do like companies that don't go out of business. So there's a little tension there. Yeah. I'm with you there. Well, HubSpot's been around a long time. So. <laughs> yeah, they have. They I have. mean, this is their loss leader, right? This, is, this yeah. is basically one of their lead gen things. That's kind of the next step toward the $7 thing with an upsell to two one-time only offers followed by another at one time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Sorry. Different company. Well, if I do my homework like I'm supposed to and put these business cards into a CRM and actually do it and I find something better, I'll let you know. 
that would be great. I think you should also let us know if you actually do your homework. Though. That, mm. Well, I um, brag on myself. I'm an ambassador <laughs> for our local chamber of commerce now. So I'll be going to ribbon cuttings and events and doing all these things and meeting all these people. And those are the people I should be capturing when they, they meet them and stuff. So are you trying to capture every person you meet or only people that are pod curious? <laughs> it's hard to tell if they're pod curious at first. Okay. But I have people come to our local meetups who are pod curious who you wouldn't necessarily have known that about them. But there they okay. are. I'm like, oh, hey, welcome. And some of them turn into podcasters and some of them just keep coming because we're cool. As you mentioned that, I was thinking about all the people that I reached out to after PodFest and almost nothing came of that in the sense that most of them never even reached out back. And I, I think it's because everybody does it. So one of the things I continue to try and think of is how can I make my interactions surprisingly good, right? Unexpectedly good. Not the happy birthday. I noticed you're one of my 6,000 friends on Facebook that also had a birthday today. <laughs> but also not the creepy. So congratulations that your your daughter-in-law is having a baby that I don't even know him, right? That mm -hmm. like there's there's a fine line there between unexpected and creepy. But <laughs> I'm kind of getting tired of the whole I met you at a marketing thing or at a podcasting thing, and now I'm obligated to follow up with you. And we're both going to ignore each other until we find a reason to exploit each other. Do either of you have any ideas for that? I don't follow up with people. <laughs> okay. But let me say that someone, uh, two someones recently have reached back out that I have met at a PodFest event of some sort or the other, not necessarily last year, but maybe the year before or two or three years ago. And we met, we had a great interaction at that time. Time passes, tick, tick. Somehow I stay on their radar or I made enough of an impression the first time that when they see me on social media again, now they need my services. Ding, ding, ding. I know who to call. So it wasn't that I snuck into their DMs and hung out in their, you know, emails all the time. It was Creep that your profile. I know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I noticed them. One of them friended me on Facebook before. I talked to them recently and one of them started liking more of my stuff on Facebook, my podcast stuff, more of my podcast stuff for, for reaching out. So they something triggered in them to follow me again or for the first time or whatever. And then they reached out about services. And those are both of the two who have to go and talk to someone else before getting back with me, of course. <laughs> but still, it, it wasn't the follow-up because I don't do that. It was the initial impression in the conversations at the event that came around for whether that's worth. But, you know, some would say you should put everybody in your database who you meet at these conferences. Yeah. Probably the companies that make software that charges you based <laughs> on the number of people you have in your contact list. Probably <laughs> Wait, so. did I say that out loud? <laughs> ah, you did. You did. So, one of the things that you, I think it was you, maybe it was me, had put in the notes for today is what if somebody reaches out and they don't want to have a call? They just want the details. Like, what's the process there? Did we already talk about that one? Was that the one that was just about price? Yeah, that was my idea behind it. Oh, it was you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, say no. I was thinking it was like, do you share with them your editing process? I'm like, oh, no. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I always tell the, the process. But if they don't want to have a call, would you still tell them what the process is? They don't want to have a call. Like we don't talk. Okay. I don't give them like, here's how to edit a podcast, but I will give them like kind of a detailed rundown of like what my services include. So it's like post-production, cleanup, EQ, you know, make you sound like an expert, blah, blah, blah. Uploading scheduling. You know, I just kind of give them like a detailed list of what's included in my price. Okay. Which I think kind of like going back to what you're saying, Brian, like you don't want them to like see this big number and be like, oh my God, you know, that doesn't seem worth it. By giving them like the extensive list of what is included in that kind of makes it clear like where the value is. Jesse said that um, they have a capabilities deck that includes their minimum level of engagement. That's one of the things that I forgot to mention. I don't 
write contracts for less than six months. I just don't do that anymore. I'm wondering if there are other things that go with that capabilities deck, but I don't want to necessarily ask Jesse to spill <laughs> the beans on all of his secret sauce. Tell us how your business runs. <laughs> yeah. Can you also tell us what you're... No. Um, but I think that's really good, right? To also state what that minimum level of engagement is. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, I'm looking for a year of at least once a month before I'll have a conversation because what I've found is that less consistent is really just too hard to deal with. Yeah. yeah. The value for me in terms of workload balance doesn't offset the cost to them. Like there's no real good sweet spot once you get below that because you just can't plan for it. I've even thought about taking once a month off the table. I don't know if I'll do that or not because some people do that. But man, if if they all fall on the first of the month and they all get them to you the week before, that could be a really tough editing process. I have one who's very sporadic right now, but most are minor two to four times a month. Okay. Yeah. Most of mine are as well. And I do have also a couple that are on pause that should be coming back shortly. We'll see if they do. I think one of the other questions that was in the notes was, do you close the sale if they're excited to get started, but you're not confident that they're ready? Daniel, what were your thoughts on that one? Currently, I'm working one launching two clients who are early in their business. And Our recommendation is always get your business going first and then come back to podcasting because podcasting is more of a long-term thing. It's going to be a while before you you see that ROI. And if you're just starting out, there's more effective places to spend your money than in a podcast. But these two individuals are really excited about starting a podcast and wanted to go ahead and launch the podcast alongside their business. For me, it's longevity over the sale. And so I don't want to work with somebody who I'm afraid is going to pod fade in the next couple of months because it's just not really worth my time. Like, yeah, I get the money now, but then there's just like the headaches as they're like fading and all that. Like, I want to make sure I'm working with somebody who's going to be dedicated to their podcast for years. But if after all that, like, they, they're taking my advice and kind of going their own way. Like, you know, all right, we'll do your podcast. We'll see how it goes, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I'm just kind of curious, like, if you have that hesitation, do you try to sway the them away from starting a podcast into other marketing channels? Or are you just kind of like, let's make your podcast happen? The people I've tried to sway before are people who have like one thing to talk about. And... One, only one thing to talk about and they would be better guest on someone else's show instead of having their own show. I'm like, you know, that's really great, but that doesn't make sense for a show. Yeah. So I would say that I generally try to do something similar to what you've described in terms of like, if you're just starting your business, that's a lot. Trying to launch a show at the same time is not really doing yourself or your business any favors. Mm-hmm. And I did take a client probably two years ago that I told her, hey, I think you need to do this other thing first. She was very adamant that she needed a podcast. She wanted to do a podcast. I shared with her my rate and she had some sticker shock about that. But she very much wanted to go forward. And I was like, well, I mean, I can help you get the show launched. I'll help support you everywhere I can. We got halfway through the launch process and she disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yes, I got paid the deposit, but I feel kind of like a total loser because not only did all of the work go into that up to that point, and I was compensated reasonably well for the work that I did. It's not like terrible, but she didn't get any of the value out of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I mean, I haven't had that situation happen since, but I would almost be inclined to decline the work and just say, I'll be happy to work with you, but I don't think you're ready. And if you really want to go forward, I think you need to find somebody else. Or we need to talk about something that's going to be significantly more expensive for you, where I take on a much more significant part of the workload, where really all you're doing is planning content, recording, and sending stuff. And everything else has to be handled by somebody else because there's a lot that goes into it. And especially when you're learning and building a business at the same time, Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, how do you do that? It's so much. 
Yeah, you need like a few hours a week, especially at the beginning when it's still new and you're still not, you don't have like the skills to do it quickly. And so like the research recording, like it's a few hours a week. And if you're starting a business and like if you're working a full-time job and trying to start a business on the side, like you're stretching yourself really thin. One thing I did want to bring up, Jesse responded, uh, that his minimum engagement is minimum monthly spend, not length of time. So that's good to know. Mm, that's smart. I think there's that that whole filter thing there. I did want to go back to getting emails. And all right, now I'm freaking like what we're talking about. A million emails a day. Is that the one? Possibly. Oh, or it's like, oh, oh, no, no. So it's like you have like all these people in your CRM, like, that you've gotten the email addresses, the information that you've gathered from conferences or whatever, and trying to like reach out to them, but not be creepy about it. I don't have like, I'm not doing anything, but I don't reach out to people. Um, but I'm just like, my feedback from people reaching out to me is every single message I get, and I usually get one a day, one every other day. And it's just straight up, hey, is my service something you can use? And every email I mark as spam. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of it, like there's no personality. There's no, I, they found my email address from somewhere and are just reaching out. Like, I don't need a landline phone. I don't need <laughs> payroll. I don't know. I, I don't need your services. And like, if you did the bare minimum, like you'd know that. But a lot of it, and like on LinkedIn, like I get these messages and it's like every single message I get is somebody saying, hey, it's great connecting with you. I want to talk more. I want to build a connection. Do you want my service? And it, it's all like this false connection with the agenda of getting me to buy something. And what's really lost is like actual genuine connections. And I think like if there's somebody like maybe you don't get anything now, but just like building connections with people, different backgrounds, and just like actually having a genuine connection, not based on what you can get out of it. And so if there is somebody you want to reach out to, like you don't need to like sell them service, just being like, Hey, I saw you posted this article. I thought that was really cool. Like here are my thoughts about that article you posted or like, here's just like my thoughts without any kind of expectation of getting anything in return. And then like down the line, maybe they start a podcast, whatever, maybe they know somebody or maybe you just made a friend and that's enough. But how do you close the sale if you just made a friend, man? That's a good question because I have someone like that right now. <laughs> We're becoming great friends. And hey, that's awesome. We need more <laughs> hey, friends in our awesome. lives. And maybe nothing comes of it. And then you just have a friend. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so are we ready for the Poddex question of the day? We are yes. ready. Daniel, number from one to five. Uh, two. One, two. Who are your heroes in real life? Real life? Yeah, that's going to be a tough one. If you're listening later or you're watching now, you can definitely join the chat and let us know who are your heroes in real life. Um, I don't know about hero, but there's hero so or somebody you admire. I was going to go with somebody I look with, look up to mm-hmm. quite a bit, and that would be Steve because we talk mm-hmm. about him all the time, and I want to be <laughs> popular like him. And also, he just is so incredibly generous. Oh my goodness. And, and is in a position to help us without looking for anything in return most of the time. Like he can truly just be generous. I feel like he's a real world, world example of what I was just saying. Cause he's somebody that's just like, Hey, like if you're ever in St. Louis, like hit me up, we'll go for coffee or like, Hey, is there anything I can do for you? He has nothing that I can buy from him. I guess like the Academy, but like there, there's nothing that he can sell me that I would want. But he's still like 100% like willing to give or just be there. I think probably Carrie, because she's somebody who we all started it as editors. And like I've continued that, like I'm fortunate enough to be full time. But she has like gone like way beyond just an editor and is like a real staple in podcasting, you know, with like all the groups that she started, like all the empowerment for women and minorities, but as well as just like some of the projects that she gets to work on. And like, it's like, she's able to kind of like create that life and like the kind of career path is really admirable. Well, I'm going to go with somebody you don't know, (laughs) but I've mentioned her, uh, Stephanie Spires. She's my business strategist friend and she's a, a mom of five who was on the school board for quite a few years. So she's had a public facing 
career, I guess, but she's a self-employed business strategist as well. And she just kicks butt and she leads our Central Kentucky Women's Entrepreneur Working Woman, whatever it's called now, meetup group once a month. And she's just pretty awesome. And she tries to keep me on track. Does she have a podcast yet? <laughs> Not yet. She's been to the meetup. She's one of the podcast people who's come to the meetup before. But at that time, she didn't know which direction she would go with the podcast. Like, well, I, I know too many things. I could talk about a foster care system. I could talk about public education. I could talk about business strategy. Well, I don't know what I would talk about on a podcast. So, yeah, I would think now, since she's a business strategist, that might be a good topic. I mean, just, you know, if you wanted to pitch that to her, if she doesn't want a Kentucky based editor, I know of one in yeah. two in Tennessee. Two in Tennessee, <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, Daniel's in Memphis, so that's really toward the border, but we'll give him credit. <laughs> Technically, we like to say we're in the state of Memphis and not associated with Tennessee, but... Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I see. But if she wanted to be a guest on the show and get, you know, her feet wet in podcasting... Yeah, she might be a great guest if she has anything to offer our audience. Mm-hmm. So I should tell her to go to podcasteditormastermind.com slash be a guest. Absolutely. And all she, all she has to do is fill out that form. We'll get a notification and we'll get a, we'll get a episode set up. Here we go. And that goes for anybody out there who's watching or listening now. If you are an expert in something and you feel like you have something to share with podcast editors, or if you're an editor yourself and are struggling with something and want the help of um, you know, some people who know a little bit about what they're doing, we would love to have you and help you. Just go to podcasteditorsmastermind.com slash be a guest. All right. Thanks everyone for joining us live and recording in podcast version. Again, I'm Jennifer Longworth with Bourbon Barrel Podcasting. You can find me on socials as Bourbon Barrel Podcasting or at bourbonbarrelpodcasting.com. Next to me has been Brian Ensminger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com or on several of the socials at Top Tier Audio. I'm not super creative, so you can find me there. Uh, probably not going to find much activity on Instagram, but I am there. So yeah, yay for me. And the invisible co-host of tonight is me, Daniel Abendroth. And you can reach out and contact me at rothmedia.audio. And not appearing in tonight's episode was Carrie Caulfield Eric at yayapodcasting.com. Thank you. Bye. Uh, um, so, how much is that? Um, 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 um